0: About that little wager of yours. Count me in. What are the terms? If I win, then that hot little car of yours is mine.
1: And if I win?
0: I'll give you something you've been obsessing about ever since our parents got married.
1: Be more specific.
0: I'll fuck your brains out What makes you think I'd go for that bet That's a 1956 Jaguar Roadster
1: Because I'm the only person you can't have And it kills you
0: No way You can put it anywhere
1: Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb and this is my co-host Mike and we have entered Trilogy in Theory after dark because we're talking the 1999 uh, smutty tragicomedy, I think, Cruel Intentions. I had never seen this movie. I, I mean, obviously the, uh, the kiss between Selma Blair and Buffy was very, very famous. So even I knew that. Thank God you're not totally lost at least <laughs> at least you had that yeah no very very uh iconic after seeing it, well, you know what, as I'm watching it, I'm like this has the plot of like a decent soft core porno
0: like this is re- like oh no, no- <laughs> you, in in the book that we are you know the reason for including this is because there's too many films covered in best movie you' ever. And so this chapter is She's All That, Cruel Intentions. We will eventually get to our proper discussion of this chapter with our Varsity Blues Patreon episode. Um, Joss Whedon uh, was not happy with Sarah Michelle Giller being in this movie because I said (laughs) it was too porny. And I'm like, man. (laughs) Like, we let a lot of things slide with Mr. Whedon back in the day. Like, yeah, it is too porny. Um, Which she was not happy with. And I I, I don't know. I I felt like... He owes most of his career to the titillation of writing strong but insanely attractive female characters that appeal to dorks and dorky sensibilities like vampire slang. So didn't really care for that. But apparently you also thought it was what, like, the training wheels for, like, the Red Shoe Diaries for the teen set, something of that nature?
1: You know, it it does. And that's not a good or bad thing. I was just kind of shocked at how— Good. (laughs) No, no. I was very much into it, but I, I, it was just so clearly smut-driven that I was like, "This is very important." I can't believe they got away with this. But then, by the time you know the the final act, really, like really the second half of the film, by the time it gets to where it's going, it it softens the blow, right? It it, it turns back into something a little more uh, conventional, for the lack of a better word, I, and and he, I think. It doesn't quite reach the the appropriate level of disbelief for me. The whole point of the film, you know, you're the redemption, right? You want Sebastian to have that redemption moment. And I don't think it's earned. That's my first question to you. Like, I, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Did
0: you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy it. I wouldn't... I don't know if I would call it camp. Um at times trashy uh, trashy is good i i feel like the older actors anytime there's like a parental or authority figure get lean into camp like uh christine uh, bransky i believe is yes. her, her name uh she goes in that direction uh she i mean she can she can play she can hit these notes uh very well I do think, and I, just from the book, I, I have a point of reference that Sarah Michelle Gellar was like, she turned 21 during the filming of this. So that's even in Hollywood terms. That's fairly young for playing like a high school student. Cause they're usually like 27 or 28 and like, you know, have a receding hairline, but they're the junior varsity quarterback, that sort of thing. I think with the younger actors, not so much Reese Witherspoon. Cause she's, she's playing the the good girls. Uh, but with Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan, Filby who have to, a lot, especially in the first act, a lot of banter about how evil they are and how like how much they enjoy being evil. It does feel a little bit like like a high school play. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not dismissing their acting ability. I don't think either one have been have been accused of being like the next Brando or anything like that. But it feels a little bit like teenagers in a drama class playing older than what they are. But I think it kind of fits with the characters as well. If, if that makes sense. I don't, I don't, I'm not just putting on the actors, but I think that they also are tr- trying to play too adult for their sensibilities. Uh, they don't lean into it enough, or I guess it's not as effective as I'd want it be, which mainly is what you're talking about. When Ryan Philpy has the, the turn of Sebastian, um, which is, I, I don't know what, that that he just he enjoys the goodness of Reese Witherspoon so much that it's like some plague that he catches. Uh, that stuff, I don't know if that really works. Sarah Michelle Gellar maybe more because she never really has. Uh, I mean, she, she enjoys, she never has an arc. She enjoys staying uh, a badass uh, until the end, until she's you know, the bittersweet symphony plays and we get to see a single tier. Um, I don't know, <laughs> but I think, I think it's fun. I think it's a fun movie and I don't know how it ages. I don't, I don't know if, you know, if you had like a Gen Z version of this, would they have to be too removed? Like, would they revel in all of the cruelty Uh, That they're able to sort of manipulate people into these like jokes that only they get or would they be far too distant and disengaged from (laughs) the rest of the peer pressure that they just don't give a shit what anyone else is doing or what people think of them. I, I don't know.
1: In the age of people watching other people
0: play Minecraft, yeah, I I don't know exactly. (laughs) Do you you think that Buffy and the jerk from a note you did last summer would just be so inherently frustrated that no one will play these games with them (laughs) that they can't manipulate people because no one cares?
1: It, it Well, it, well <laughs> I think a lot of the humor and a lot of the stuff that hasn't aged well, you know, references to fudge packing and stuff like that. Yeah, you. I don't know
0: what kind of modern update you can have. And even this. That one was interesting. That was interesting because you have uh, Pacey, you have Joshua Jackson playing the, I guess, gay friend, uh, occasional ally in uh blackmail to uh the our main character sebastian um uh, I mean he hears these derogatory things thrown his direction, but it's it's very much i guess late nineties, maybe specifically more early two thousands. That like no offense, like I'll say something horrible, but no offense to you, and it's just brushed <laughs> yeah, off right. by the character who maybe should be offended <laughs> a little bit.
1: And and what what you mentioned about the actors or the character like playing older a little bit, that is a lot of the the period aspect of this film. So one of the things that the auteur Roger Cumble. Uh, what I wanted to do is he wanted to make it feel, especially inside uh, that little mansion, um, was that this was a bit of a weird period piece type film. Um, and even, like, this the moment where Sebastian, like, checks the time to see if it's 12 o'clock because that's when he was supposed to meet up with Joshua Jackson and, and to to uh, trap the, the varsity high school, whatever, quarterback. He checks a pocket watch. Like, it was such an odd moment, but it it kind of made sense. The way that they're dressed isn't the way normally you see what,
0: what teenagers are, are, you know, uh, um, dressed up. I just on. assumed it was because uh, these characters are very wealthy. So they go could and be. Brood in Central Park with their pocket watches and they're <laughs> sort of like cloaked, you know, like, you know, Neo in the Matrix and very much uh, so. Mope around. Uh, it's very, uh, it, you know, it's obviously a big city, uh, but also a very small town that um both Philby and uh Witherspoon miss each other constantly at the window he's out looking up at her you know brownstone and then when he turns his head she looks out the window it's it's very quaint um in in that way uh i i think it's what works best for it is the fact that it's its sense of sort of style uh, yeah. the fact that they are going to do an update for this and then they they don't really run from the fact that it's stylish and in that way like it's something i you liked some of the, the tendencies of she's all that, that it would go big. Uh, whereas mainly I couldn't get over just how uh, unappealing the film looked. That <laughs> It looked like a very low budget TV. I don't even know if I'd say a TV movie, but I didn't know what their designs were for that. This one, um, I guess was a pretty, I think like a small modest budget. Like, I think it was like something like seven to 10 million or something like that. Um, but, From my memory, uh, this got a huge push towards the teen market. And, yes, they they lean very much on the the kiss between Sarah Michelle Gellar and Selma Blair. And they also just happened to be hitting on young actors that appealed to teenagers at that point. Like, it's, it's, you know, this is like an Ocean's Eleven type gathering here. And and this is uh, perfect for a VHS or DVD box art having these three faces on there. And that's not even getting into... uh, Selma Blair, who I, I know is one of your favorites, is one of the greatest love interests of all time in Hellboy. And, thus, and that sock. <laughs> Was that a low blow? <laughs> no, <laughs> <do> no, <laughs> no. I'm, I, I'm over it. I'm over it. <laughs> You're over Hellboy at this point in your
1: life. <laughs> you know what's funny? Is, ever since I started reading Hellboy, I've begun to
0: dislike Deltor's work even more. Uh, uh, Hellboy no specifically. It- where it deviates from the, uh, oh. you know, the the relationships of that group uh, beyond relationship, somewhat like, of an understatement. Tonally, it's completely different as well, and yeah, I'm
1: very very upset about it. However, I want to go back to just that the redemption arc, right? Like, so you the you your main two characters in this film, you've got Sebastian and 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 Catherine, and they're both the bad guys. You've got two antagonists as your main characters, and then all of a sudden, like you've got a do the turn right you've got to turn Sebastian good and you have to have Catherine leaning into the bad and and Annette Reese Witherspoon's character has to be the catalyst for that I didn't believe it there wasn't enough interaction between Annette and Sebastian for me to be like oh this relationship's actually progressing and changing him and I think the 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 moment that it solidified to me i was like yeah no this didn't work they didn't pull it off is at the end where annette is driving away in the jaguar and it's in fact actually one of the things in the director's commentary was like they were debating whether it was going to be a, a a villainous turn for annette because uh she's kind of screwed over Catherine, and is is this her path to being a bad person but they had cut in those uh flashbacks of her and Sebastian having their moments. And there's only two of them, the kiss at the uh, top of the escalator and then making the funny faces in the car. That's it. That is horrible.
0: It's the, the whole relationship. I, I If I'm Sebastian, I go back to whoring relentlessly. If Reese <laughs> Witherspoon is making those atrocious faces at me, I'm like, fuck this girl. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't find this cute. I don't find it amusing. I am not a manic pixie dream girl. Uh, fetishist in any way? Please stop, stop doing that. Yeah, but um, but his
1: his stepsister's hot hot body is on the line on this
0: bet. Wouldn't he be? It, <laughs> it, so <laughs> Ryan Filby is he's got to do uh, quite a bit of heavy lifting here. And of course, I've not read the seventeen eighty two source material <laughs> of this because. <laughs> I am not that nerdy. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to stick with the MP3 rip of the director's commentary t- you sent me. That I'll I'll get nerdy about. Uh, so I believe when I watched this as a teenager, the only thing that I had been exposed to is it Stephen Frears, I believe is the director of the John Malkovich, Glenn Close, um, Uma Thurman. Um, is it Michelle Pfeiffer? Is she the Reese Witherspoon? I, I think um, I was only familiar with that. And of course, the problem I had with that one goes to the character played by Malkovich and in this version, Ryan Phillippe, and that I had a hard time believing, and I don't know if that one's set in the 1770s or 80s, that John Malkovich was some sort of Lothario, because <laughs> he just looks like a fucking creep. He just looks like a creep all the time. <laughs> I can I can buy a teenage girl falling to the charms of Ryan Phillippe, mm-hmm. especially in this era. I do think he's limited that even when he, it's hard to discern, you know, not plot wise, but when he's faking being a kiss ass and then when he actually has feelings, they don't look that different. <laughs> you know, it looks pretty fucking fake. <laughs> so you're right. I don't really get why Reese Witherspoon, who I think actually is playing where she's, you know, the, the, the straight man role, I think it's pretty clear cut. Like she just is honest. She just reacts honestly. She says what she's thinking as far as like, why do you feel like you need to behave like that? Um, I don't know honestly why she wants to reform a a bad boy in that way, other than he just keeps throwing attention uh, her way, love bombing her as the kids would say now. Um, I get why Sarah Michelle Giller's character is doing what she's doing and that Catherine, she has one speech, maybe even two, where she's like, you know, I, I fuck who I want to fuck, and I'm I'm a slut. Like I'm I'm looked at as like someone to basically work your way through until you find, of all people, uh, Hellboy's girlfriend Selma Blair, who's who's playing a complete idiot in this. And it, I, I'm sure when I watched this as a 16 year old, I was like, man, give me that Selma Blair. Why the fuck would I do like I, once once you land on Evil Buffy, like dark haired Buffy, that's what you go with. So yeah, I I don't think I've matured much. Sixteen year old Mike and forty year old Mike is thinking Buffy is offering you anal sex and you're deciding <laughs> that you'd rather weep <laughs> in the mirror and look at yourself. I don't I, I don't understand this. I certainly don't understand it if he's playing an actual seventeen or eighteen year old kid. I don't think you I don't think you're gonna manage your emotions that way. Or you're like, no, I'm a different guy now. Maybe you'd say it. You're still gonna have sex with Buffy.
1: I mean, she's screaming at you, like, I want to get fucked, and he's like, "Eh, I
0: don't know. I don't know about this. I don't feel like it. (laughs) Yeah. I have the libido of a 52-year-old man. (laughs) I just can't. can't do it. Not the drop of a hat.
1: Channeling my inner John Malkovich. (laughs) Now... You may not have done your homework uh, uh, by not reading the original source material. Oh, don't but... tell me you did, please. <laughs> no, I didn't. I okay, didn't. God. But I did go above and beyond. I did look into and watched Cruel Intentions Part Two. Oh, okay. And let me tell you something. This thing's a piece of crap. And it is written and directed by the same person who did Cruel okay. Intentions 1. It looks like shit. It looks worse than She's All That. And the reason for that, I found out, is because uh, a a television series was commissioned uh, as a, a, like a prequel series, as to how how
0: um, Sebastian and Catherine became the way they are. So we can't get I know what you did last summer or Buffy. So we get nobody, nobody <laughs> is slightly younger people to play them at sixteen or something. They look older. Oh, I thought, yeah. Oh, and and oh, okay. Catherine, played by Amy Adams. Ooh, yeah. That, was that interesting at all? Or no, no? she's good? terrible. Oh, which oh, i like, oh no.
1: <laughs> I get you know when somebody has a shitty job, but they're shitty at that job. That's a that's a shame. It's an old Louis C.K. joke. I'm sorry to channel him in, into our podcast, but we are we, we led with Joss Whedon, so <laughs> go go ahead, go, go right ahead. So no, she's doing a terrible job. Uh, as is everybody else. It's poorly written, and it's actually kind of a remake of Cruel Intentions.
0: And essentially what happened is... So wait a minute. The prequel is like, here. see what shaped them. The same shit they were doing <laughs> for 60% of the movie. Pretty much, because they actually recreate and reference
1: scenes from the first one. It's so dumb. And actually what I found out is that they took the first couple episodes of this failed TV show, smushed them together into ah, a movie. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those. So it is absolutely horrible. I do not recommend it. Um, it it's uh, absolutely atrocious. And then I was, you know, and I wanted to kind of be sure. I was like, was this bad? And so I went actually rewatched Cruel Intentions again after watching the sequel. And yes, no, the first one is a proper movie. This This is garbage.
0: Man, if there was some, like, government agency that's, like, checking, like, what you're streaming or whatever, uh, which I, <laughs> I I, would think that you got put on some sort of list. It's like, this old man is, uh, <laughs> he's really into Cruel Intentions 25 years later. Like, he just keeps <laughs> going back. <laughs> hey, it's approved by the MPAA.
1: <laughs> you know? Um actually they uh, there were talks about trying to make it PG-13 and they're like this is not going to work and so they did go R and actually their first submission they came back NC-17 they're like fuck so they had to I, I don't know tone it
0: down maybe was it the Kevin Smith reason was was Buffy just like you know doing her 37 rant or something or they're talking <laughs> about snowballing like what <laughs> what content cuz it's all talk i mean there's nothing I think I, I even stipulated that to you uh, off mic when you're like, I never watched it. You're like, is it, you know, what's the content? Like, I'm like, they just talk about sex. There's no. Yeah. There's not not even like they're trying to fake nudity, really. Like it's, you know, when they're in bed together, they it's just a close up. Both their faces just staring intently, like right into each other's eyes. Nothing, nothing much. Oh, oh, I take that back. A butt shot, a male butt oh. shot in the <laughs> yeah. in the pool. That's, Yeah.
1: Yeah, Uh, You know, Buffy has that off-screen grinding that you don't really see. Um, In fact, Cruel Intentions 2 has more nudity than the first one. So, uh, yeah, weird. I also went the extra mile. I was like, this isn't enough. I need to continue to research (laughs) Cruel Intentions. Oh, my God. I was like, this has an obvious and so easily you throw in, like, hardcore sex scenes and you've got yourself a parody there's gotta be a porn parody there is a porn parody it's unfortunately called a cruel bet a cruel intentions parody and i was like you couldn't cruel insertions you couldn't like just it's so easy Ah, yeah it's it's so easy
0: but look at you porn producer (laughs) just spitballed (laughs) i'm just riffing here (laughs) here's the poster (laughs) big
1: bosoms (laughs) (laughs) I've got my finger on the pulse of what's popular, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Big breasts. They never go out of style. Um, I was uh, shocked to find out (laughs) that the entire porn parody was 50 minutes. I was like, you can't fit this narrative into 50 minutes with sex scenes. Turns out the first, like, 10, 15 minutes are... Recreations of the movie, and honestly, they're—it's not even a parody. They just recreate the scenes. That's how—that's how I knew. Wow. I was like, "Wow, Cruel Intentions is really porny." Joss Whedon's right.
0: And very uh, Gus Van Sant psycho. They're just different <laughs> actors just reading the same material. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Yeah.
1: And then the last like 40 minutes is just a long sex scene, I was like, "This sucks." Wait, how many characters? Three. Uh, the the uh the Celia character, Catherine and Sebastian. So Annette isn't even really in the porn parody.
0: Oh, so she's maintains her good girl status even in the porn version. She's removed from. The- yes, yes. So no, it's all hedonism. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't mean to pick on Selma Blair because I think she's she's had some health problems. I think yes. in real life, yeah. so I'm, I'm removing that. I, I I just vaguely remember reading or hearing an interview with her, and, and I always liked her as a as a comedic actress. Um, strangely, she's in a, another Roger Cumble joint, uh, The Sweetest Thing, with uh, Cameron Diaz and Christina Applegate, which was like a. Uh, not a hard r but it's like uh, uh, an r-rated girls comedy uh that you would say now is like oh they're doing like hangover style it's basically just like women can speak filth too except it came out in like 2003 or 4 so maybe slightly ahead of its time i don't know you know, you know mr Cumble always so, you know <laughs> he's he's on the cutting edge <laughs> and she was funny in that you know at that point maybe she had established herself like as far as not being the the brightest but here i just think she just she's just so dumb in the cruel intentions version that i i feel like it's she's doing a parody of what she would later perfect (laughs) i don't know like going back to it but i had such a distaste for her in this (laughs) that you're you're telling me this porn version where that character is engaged in some sort of threesome aspect which i normally you know the whole Ava space thing which did the two chicks at the same time and yet I find it so unappealing that I wish that Ron Phillippe had had more chances to reject someone Blair in this movie because I totally got it. Even as a horny teenager, I'd be like, I can't, I cannot do this. I'm on a journal and scrapbook now. Stop throwing yourself at me. <laughs> and also for the record, I'd like to tell you, I did not sit
1: through 40 minutes of this sex scene. <laughs> You know, it starts and I'm like, ooh, this is sexy. And then, you know, all, all right, let's 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 move it along. And then it, it you know, you get I'm scrubbing through it and I'm like, boy, this is a lot and then yeah, by the time you get to the end, I was like, All right, it's well, also this is a
0: waste. It's a sign of age yourself when you have grown men responsibilities You're like I can't sit here all day. Like <laughs> <laughs> Is there a two minute and forty five second version of this so we condense it down? <laughs> I would like to kinda of end with a
1: legend's perspective. Uh, Roger Ebert's review. He actually gave it three out of four stars. He liked it quite a bit, and he mentioned, Good for him. yeah, yeah, and he mentioned three things that uh, uh, quote it. It's the film steps wrong in three ways, and I actually agree with all three of these. The first is with its ending, which lacks the courage to take the story to its logical conclusion, and instead contrives a series of moralistic payoffs that are false and boring. I agree with that. I think the logical conclusion has to be that Annette is like fuck you and moves on with her life. The second is the treatment of some gay characters. Surely, kids as sophisticated as those in this story would be less homophobic. And the third is with the use of a black character, uh, Cecile's uh, cello instructor, who whose race is uneasily employed in awkwardly written scenes. I'm like, yeah, I agree with those things for the most part. That, that that's true, and and I like the fact that he can mention those. Things Again, film film criticism, right? It's like you can have problems with something, but still enjoy it. Three and a half stars because it's (laughs) porny. (laughs) Disregard
0: all my complaints.
1: (laughs) I think it would be so easy for somebody who grew up, you know, in modern (laughs) times to be like, "I, I don't like this one aspect of this. And so the whole film is trash. I appreciate that. So, reading his review, I was like, "Yeah, hey, he still gave it a positive review, and so do I." I dug this quite a bit. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna uh, revisit it. I mean, I, shit, I already did it. I listened to it. I rewatched it with director's commentary. I watched it once, and then I watched it again after suffering through part
0: two. And all a clever ruse just for research purposes to get to the porno. <laughs> just to <get> to... <laughs> what was it called again? A cruel bet. A cruel bet, ugh. Be I'm terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is a hard one to, even if you dislike it, even if uh, you know you do not uh, look upon it as favorably as uh, Mr. Ebert, who loved, you know, the thing he probably held against it was there were not large breasts at all, because he was a man that, that loved the big bosoms. Um, <laughs> it's fun. It's you know, it's it's like it's a fun movie. <laughs> I can't get over <laughs> Roger Ebert. <laughs> that was one of the demerits, and then he crossed it out. I was like, mm, maybe I shouldn't put that in public. <laughs> Where are the boobs? the The hidden word document
1: that he kept away. <laughs>
0: These guys kind of epitomize what people think of as, like, the old studio boss, who's like, never mind the guy on the typewriter, what's on the poster? Broads with big bosoms, you know?